Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Jennifer, and you know I only use your full name when I have a serious proposition for you. I have something serious I need to talk to you about. I need you to go through all your finances. I want you to talk to your accountant. You need to buy the plot of land next to us that's for sale in Tahoma. One, because I miss your beautiful face on the West Shore and I miss your company. And the other reason is this plot of land is small as fuck and it's going for more than we bought our house for. Um, we keep knocking the sign down. I don't know if I should say that, but for our listeners, you get me because I don't want a fucking Tahoma tunnel next to my house. So Brennan and I have a plan that we're going to redneck the shit out of our fucking um, lot. So I'm thinking we both start smoking. We, uh, in our underwear on the porch, on the porch, on, on the, the porch. porch, Oh, you know, chain smoking all day. We're just going to have them flying out. Um, I'm thinking blue tarps everywhere, tires on top of tires, preferably like ripped tires, broken down snowmobiles. Anyone who has a boat or a broken down vehicle, if they want to come park it in my lot. <sighs> Um, I welcome that. I'm thinking we put them up on uh, on lifts or something. Uh, maybe cinder not- blocks. Just get a bunch of cinder blocks. That's or like put, the, put shit on top of the broken sleds. Yeah. So broken sled, uh, cinder blocks. We were recently spray painting. Uh, Micah has this like broken, cute rocking chair. And it's like, you know, the, oh, well, let's get wood glue. Let's go to the hardware store. And you think that's like easy, but COVID makes shit like that fucking complicated. And I'm like, all right, Micah, we're masking up and we're going into the hardware store. So I had wood glue out. We were spray painting. It was perfect right on the lot. Um, so that's my business. That's my that's my ask of you, Jen. That's yeah. your proposal. Yeah, team. put your pennies together. Okay. Come by this lot. Be my neighbor or someone out there listening. Come and put like a cool little tiny home next to me. But you won't see it right now because we knocked the sign down. I mean, the wind knocked the sign down. The wind knocked the sign down. I am. Um, I. I appreciate it that you think I have an accountant. I my accountant is called TurboTax. Turbo, uh, Mrs. Tax does my taxes for me every year. And uh, given that I own pretty much nothing, I don't think that I'll be um, eligible to buy anything. Um, although, what you're talking about is a major issue in mountain towns right now, and it might seem like. Our listeners might be like, this is a bougie-ass conversation. Who gives a fuck about buying lots and houses and this and that? But this is like one more accessibility issue because it's always been expensive to live in the mountains. But because of COVID, it is next 
level. So for those of you who don't live in mountain communities, here's what's going on. People primarily from um, metropolitan areas uh, who have been able to work remotely um, have been coming into mountain communities and buying up houses for like fifty dollars to $100,000 over the asking price, and they're paying in cash. Mm-hmm. So that means that people who would normally be looking to maybe buy their first home and they need to get a mortgage, you're not even, you can't even look at buying a home. Now, like I said, I own nothing. I do not subscribe to the um, American dream because the American dream is bullshit to me. And I um, don't ever want to own a home. But um, there's a lot of people who still want to be able to own their own home. And because of COVID, you just, everything is getting snapped up. And it's more, it's just so much more expensive to live in mountain communities than it ever has been before. And it's not like, the living wage, there's not like the, the living wage has gone up. It's not like people are earning more money. No. And what's, what's scary about it is it's not even just like our neighbors and friends that might want to buy something. Cause I get, I totally feel I, I, the American dream to me, it's, it's the fucking American nightmare. Right. And we've kind of touched that yeah. on that before when we've recorded, because it is so, um, it's just kind of toxic to have that. You should, you know, get the house and the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence. And it's just, it's sold to us here domestically. It's sold abroad and it really just paints this unachievable and, um, you know, kind of just, just scary way to live. Cause you can really never catch up to that. It's like the idea of, you know, looking for perfection. But I think of our friends and neighbors who are getting pushed out of long-term rental situations. So they love living in the mountains. They've made a life, a community here. And now people have been like, wow, I could literally put my home on the market. I'm going to have 10 to 15 offers in 24 hours. And like you said, cash, and then people who are coming in, they're not necessarily building community here. And that's one piece, you know, I, I'm really thankful to call the West Shore home. It's something I've always loved about it here in Tahoe is there is still a little bit of a sense of a funky mountain community. So I don't actually really have to go that far to to make my yard look kind of funny. We've we pulled that off actually all through COVID. We had <laughs> the dumpster out here. We had the multiple vehicles. Um you know, I'm kind of waiting for the realtor to come by and be like, hey, can you move that truck? And I'm going to be like, nope, this is where it's staying. Have you driven up and down our streets? Like real people live here. And just it's people. It's, yeah. it's not well, like my Tahoma's working class. Absolutely. Tahoma has always 100%. been a working class neighborhood. It's been it's, it's the people who've been groomers at Homewood for 30 years. Absolutely. And it's the guy who owns the carpet in installation company. Like yeah. when I used to live in Tahoma, that was my neighbor. Yeah, he, that, he built that business from, he installed yeah. carpet. That's what Tahoma used to always be. And now, yeah, you, in, in addition to people who might want to be, you know, buying, buying their home so they can, you know, really settle down and, and set some, some roots there. Um, you, people, people are being forced out of their rentals. Like it's, and it's just, I don't know. I'm okay, but here's one thing I've been th- thinking about: what What are those people going to do when there's a real big storm? Like when it is when there's real snow mm-hmm. and the electricity goes out for a couple mm-hmm. days and there's mm-hmm. no internet. Like, do you think that all those people who've come in from the Bay Area and who actually think they can like work from home are going to be okay with just being disconnected for days on end? Because 
I felt like that happened to me multiple times when I lived at the lake. Oh yeah. It, it's, um, it's a reality. I will say, um, I have two, uh, you know, little anecdotes for you over this, this more coming up in a year of, you know, COVID really impacting both real estate, um, people flocking up here from, you know, for us most geographically, uh, the Bay area, but I had, um, there's a little A-frame up on the corner of Placer and Elm. It's super cute. Family bought it. They can't come up as a family because the house is too small. They come up in shifts. So there's also what? that piece. Oh yeah. And I kind of, you know, there's kind of like the little Tahoma tattletale. We've got like great little gossip here, but the family couldn't, <laughs> they, they were like tearing each other apart. And I'm like, I live in an A-frame. I kind of get it, but it's like, mountain living, you're outside a lot. You're not necessarily in your home all in front of, you know, your devices. And if you thought you were coming up here for like your vacation home, sit in front of the fire, play a game, it's a lot different to actually live here and do that. And you're not walking out um, like you would in a, in a metropolitan area and go out to your movie theaters or to your coffee shops and, and you know, different mm -hmm. things at your disposal. And then I had a woman on the corner who rented the house for the summer and she had a young child. So we would kind of chit chat because she would see me with my daughter. And she literally had the nerve to say this to me. She's like, yeah, we rented the house to see if we might want to buy it, but we're kind of concerned about like the drug culture here. And I was like, oh, really? I was like, I'm concerned about like rich people moving up from the Bay and changing the mountain culture. Wait, we what drug culture? Like marijuana like people know. smoking weed because uh hello 2021's knocking at your door it's fucking legal yeah and i've like, been like drinking everywhere and like smoking a spliff while we were talking i know i'm just kidding i wasn't doing that but i don't know where i couldn't even entertain her i don't know what she was thinking i, I think it was what just drug culture? passing huge judgment on exactly what you spoke to of kind of like working class neighborhood or just like the vibe yeah. and the sense. I have no idea. And I just said to her what I said, cause I got this, you know, in my own judgment, I was like, all right, you're going to come up here with your money and think that like your shit doesn't stink because you want to like make a life for yourself. I don't know. Maybe autumn needs to cut this part out because I can be kind of a judgment. No, I think I, but I, I was think like, like by the house, the it's drug cool. culture, like since when do wealthy people not use drugs? Ugh. Not use like since when, like, I mean, isn't, this is like one of the like, you know, big issues in, in cannabis right now is the social justice aspect of like all the black men in particular who are in prison for minor drug infractions, whereas all the white men who've been making shit tons of money in the cannabis industry. I know this because I've been reading up, you know, because we're preparing to launch our line of um, CBD sexual intimacy products. That's a little insight to everyone listening in. Um, so I've been working a lot more on that. But so that's kind of like, I mean, I guess I guess you don't necessarily have to be wealthy to dislike drug culture. Any human can dislike drug culture. And that's fine if you don't like drugs, because that that's fine. You can like drugs, not like drugs, like drinking, not like drinking, like all of that is fine. But it is, I think, actually really inappropriate to look at a community like Tahoma and say that you don't like the drug culture, because for all the years that I lived there, when I would think about the things that defined that community or define mountain communities, uh, drugs, drugs is not one. And I think to me, drugs are pretty universal. Yeah. 
in nearly all communities. And if you think they're not, you're actually not fucking paying attention to the shit that people are, are doing behind closed doors. Well, so. and you kind of nailed it with it being like an issue of justice and where people like to find them acceptable and not right. So yeah. people having like a gathering in their yard around a bonfire and having some beers and drinks, as opposed to like, you know, hoity toity and like your dirty martinis at $18 a pop in a, you know, in a restaurant, you know, I'm just like, I think there's a level of um, judgment there. And then I think there's also some people find it acceptable when it meets their, you know, maybe their standard. And I, I think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect. I yeah. think if people come to Tahoe and I experience this a lot with tourists and visitors where they come and they, they drop in for like vacation, they drop in for a vibe. And this happened a lot this summer with people not maybe masking up people being too close. And they're like, well, I just wanted to come up here and forget it all and feel like it was on vacation and give my kids a normalcy. And I'm like, well, that's all well and fine, but we all live here. And so for us to keep our economy open and to keep Tahoe open and to keep yeah. our locals safe. And I think a lot of mountain communities really experience this because of that influx of like, I'm going to tap in and make this place my own for a short period. And who doesn't enjoy vacation and beautiful Airbnbs and, and, um, experiencing other areas, but you hopefully do that with a sense of respect and of the community and place that you're tapping into. And I think that's a piece that not only has been exacerbated by COVID, but Tom yeah. has always experienced. In my 20, year here, 20 years here, I picture sitting on the lift and the dude had like a Blackberry and I was on Siberia. So this is how long ago it was when Blackberries were like a thing. And I sold tickets at Alpine and slung sushi at Yama. And he was like, God, I love your life. And I'm like, you can have it. You just can come up here and you apply to sell tickets at the lift office. It's like, I make, I don't know, six fifty an hour. Like you could have my life, you know, it's like a choice, but I'm like, then you kind of trying to tap in and balance because you want to be on the chairlift and you want to be out riding and skiing. And so it's like lifestyle versus escaping your lifestyle, maybe a little bit to tap into something. Maybe that's another episode. I don't know. Right. But that's, it, it, it feels like, it feels like everybody has like figured out that we've just been having tons of fun, right? <laughs> like for all these years where we like haven't like there's like a whole lot of things that you're supposed to accumulate that we haven't been accumulating because we just wanted to play outside. And so we have like we don't necessarily earn the same salaries. We don't own the same things. There's not second homes. There's not multiple vehicles there's not big savings accounts like all these things don't exist because we just have loved being outside that we've created like created we have we have figured out what tangible like what what financial things we're willing to to not strive for in order to sort of like live that life of being like taking meetings from the chairlift and having the mountains right outside, outside your door. But what, um, and it's always been a sacrifice. And obviously like certain people have been more inclined to be able to even sacrifice the way that we did. Like, it's not like a true sacrifice, right? We just shifted our lifestyle and we have privilege that allowed us to do that. But what's different right now is that like what you and I did 20 years ago, seems like it's even more impossible for people to do today. And when we talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, when we talk about having, um, more diverse communities, it doesn't feel good to know that the that it's it's just becoming more and more of the case that 
the only way thing that gets you into the mountains is is money mm-hmm. and that that's the that's the the, the ticket um and I don't know. It just, um, and it's, I don't know if it's going to necessarily change. Like outdoors is gangbusters because of COVID. And I think like, it's so great that people love being outside and I want as many people as possible to be outside, but I don't, I don't want to be a part of something where people can no longer afford homes or afford to live. And we haven't even begun to talk about all of the frontline workers in mountain towns who are providing the services to tourists. So it's the people who, who are um, bagging your groceries, uh, who are selling you lift tickets, who are clearing your plates, who are like washing your dishes, cleaning your hotel rooms, all of those people who traditionally, like if we want to speak about Tahoe, this is the Latino community. Let's, it's already been difficult enough to be able to employ workers who live in the community where they're working. And we're, we're sort of like rapidly moving toward having to import in people from other communities because the people who work in mountain towns can't even afford to live there. And that creates a whole different dynamic that's incredibly problematic. Going back to what you said about community, like you want people to live in live and work in the same community because that's how there's a collective ownership and a shared responsibility for everything that's happening. But if it just, if if you don't have that, if, if workers are driving over the hill and the people who own, own properties are people who have paid cash and um, don't even necessarily work in the community, it just, there's a massive disconnect that, I think it's really difficult to have even like shared empathy there too. Well, you took, as I was listening to you, I was like, it's an, that's, you took the word out of my mouth, an absolute disconnect. And I think what that does is it creates, it creates separation and further division because you, again, money, no money, um, you know, you, you recreate on the lifts, you, you, you play in the backcountry, you like to paddleboard, you like to road bike, you like this all of those, you know, shared differences in recreation, there can be a sense where people do come together for that, whether it's empathy, whether it's it's a collective care for the community, it's also a collective care even for like your neighbors, right? So that sense gets lost when the disconnect is like, yeah. I kind of tap in, I take what I want, I do what I want, and then I kind of like can exit out. And I think that comes down to talking about the American nightmare, right? The idea of individual ownership and the idea of private property, I think all of those things have been really toxic because they've separated yeah. people and they've allowed people to like make money off of others. You know, I think of the the rent hikes right now, you know, or even the idea that our, you know, cute little home that we um, really love, that we've made work for us, that, you know, is just, it's a good fit in in, in a sick way, we're like, we could sell this for hundreds of thousands of dollars. We could rent it. I mean, and we wouldn't do that, but there's this kind of weird collective energy that you can't ignore. And I'm like, but there are, for every family that's saying, no, I wouldn't do that, there's a handful that are. And it's like that that influx of, of money and that shift away from um, supporting people in the local community really impacts. And it does create, it creates a disconnect that not only Fs with people, but it ends up really kind of hurt, hurting our environment and the planet. 
And I think that's the bigger thing that I mean, I, right. well, I don't want to be alive because... HM, but I think we're going to be, it's going to fucking implode in our faces. I mean, it's happening. Yeah. But it's, the, you know, it's, it's just like when, when I think about like, well, what are the solutions to this, to this, to this particular issue? I mean, this is just free, free market, right? Like the, the market is dictating what is happening and that's in the United States, capitalism rules. And, you know, without sort of moving to a more socialist economy where there would be actual government regulation that would mandate a certain amount of housing for full-time residents who work in that community, like that is one of the only ways to maintain any sort of equilibrium. But to even suggest that you are a socialist, you are a communist, although we both know those two things aren't the same thing. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that's what people would say about you. But um, it's like, it's it's absurd to even to even be able to say that. But I, I will say one of the if I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go a little bit on a, a tangent here, but not so much. So um, this new bill that we just passed that Biden signed, um, this re- recovery bill, is the closest thing that we have ever seen to basic minimum income in the United States. And it is fascinating that that this, and, and it's a shame that it took a global pandemic for us to say, Children deserve X number of dollars so that they're not in poverty and healthcare should be reduced even more for people who earn under this amount and people who earn under this amount will also get essentially what is like a stipend so that they can live like basic minimum income is a thing. It's been happening in multiple countries. It's been proven through academic through rigorous academic research to work and to lift people out of poverty. It's one of the only things that lifts people out of poverty. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm floored to be witnessing this in my lifetime that in the United States of America, this is what's going on. And I'm like, fingers crossed that this is sort of the gateway into more compassionate um, economics and compassionate government intervention where we actually say we don't we don't want children to live in poverty mm-hmm. so we're going to do what it takes so that like we're going to give people money because we trust people also fuck you Reagan for your welfare queen shit that's it goes back to that i'm mm-hmm. not just going to also digress there mm-hmm. that's like what like where it started but um i don't know so so maybe like you know maybe what it is and it's you know to to sort of touch on what you were talking about with um with climate change and the, the environment, maybe shit just does have to get so awful that then we're willing to say, well, we'll come in and legislate around it. And then you would have the majority of the American population be supportive of that. Mm-hmm. But it's a shame that it has to get so, so awful to get there. Um, yes, I agree with that. But what I loved is that you touched on actual, like, movements forward that have been rigorously looked at because I think that's something that we've been lacking is and I don't like fucking love Biden I don't really I mean I care I don't care I care but what I do like 
very much that I hear regularly come out of his mouth is, I don't know. So what do I do? I look to the experts. And it's the same thing. Like, think about yourself, Jen. You're one of the fucking smartest people I know. You get shit done, but you're also not afraid to surround yourself with other smart people. And you're not afraid to seek out help and ask for others. So talk about like solution driven, which I love that you brought us there because I could take, you know, the rabbit hole of like, we're all going to fucking implode. But this idea of <laughs> surrounding yourself. So if you're in policy, right? You know, I think myself in education. So you're in policy, you're in equity work, you're looking at economics, you're looking at public health. There are people that this is what they do. They dedicate their lives to fucking understanding how we move ourselves forward. And they're not doing it for their own fucking, you know, like, self-fulfilling personal benefit. They're doing it because there's a sense of like a collective humanity. And that's a piece where I'm like, if you're willing to surround yourself with other mm-hmm. smart humans that are experts in this, cause you're like, wow, if people are lifted out of poverty, you know, I even think of some of the stimulus pieces. I'm like, if people are given money and it goes into savings and it goes into the economy, there yeah. is again, for basic like econ 101, there is going to be positive, like cycl- cyclical return on that, that boosts people in terms of having restaurants open, people will tip better, people will shop more, people will do that. And I don't think of it as like, you know, the really toxic, like post 9-11, like you want to be patriotic, go out and shop and like boost your economy. I'm like, dude, the economy fucking gets boosted when someone gets divorced or we build a weapon. Like that's like a scary mentality to have, but there is a sense of putting well, because money of and services. Yeah. Yeah. And then like putting it in the hands of people that have been denied access to it, going back to the, you know, the toxicity of the sense of like welfare queen. I'm like, you shouldn't have to work three jobs and also need government assistance. That's like, a, that's a fucking flaw in like the way things are set up because that's generally a, a, a very common situation that often women, women who are mothers will find themselves in. They're working, but they also still need nutritional food for their kids. And then there's all these other pieces that go along with that. So I'm like, yes, get on you politicians, policymakers, everyone who's doing the work, surround yourself with smart people and be willing to listen and learn and then make some progressive says, I wish there was more socialism. Like when people accuse and they're like, you know, Obama was such a socialist. I'm like, I wish he was. I don't actually, he's not. I wish, I wish there were more radical socialists. Yeah. Wish, wish he was exactly. Well, and we all like, we all get to make our own decisions around this, right? Like I, I left Tahoe to move to Reno because I couldn't afford to live in Tahoe anymore. And I'm a single woman. So like, that's a whole nother episode, right? To talk about how this entire society is set up to financially reward people who are married. And so when you choose to not be married, how the system doesn't work for you. And then, then you do have to make decisions. And I was like, well, I don't want to work three jobs because I'm trying to make my business. I'm trying to make coalition successful. Like I, that's what I'm focused on. I want Zawadisha to be successful. And I don't like, there's only 24 hours in a day. And so where am I supposed to like, I'm a small business owner. Where am I supposed to go earn another dollar to pay to live in Tahoe when I'm like, I already, you know, like I already qualify for the exchange. I'm like, my healthcare is almost free because of what I earn. Like, but because, you know, I don't have children, I'm not married. I don't have all these extra things. So, you know, I chose to move from Tahoe to Reno, which I, now I love living in Reno. Sometimes there's are certain things that I miss. I miss looking at the lake I miss being five minutes away from Homewood. I miss seeing your face all the time. Like we like that, that is, you know, but 
other than that, I'm super happy to be here. And I feel like that's also something that mountain communities and whether it's like your chamber of commerce or your city council, your, your mayor, any of your um, elected officials or leadership in mountain communities need to also be thinking, well, what do we need to do so people want to be here? Because I chose to not be there and I'm happy with choosing to not be there. And I don't know if I would ever actually go back. Mm. Um, And so, you know, there's always like, I feel like there's always been this conversation too of like, how do we make mountain communities more diverse? What makes you think that mountain communities are appealing to a diverse population, right? Like there's so, it's, it's not just about like, you know, dealing with the infrastructure of having like solid electricity and net network, like that's, everybody wants that, right? But it's like, how do people feel when they walk into the grocery store or into a restaurant? And what do people see? Like, who do people see when they look around? And what's the language that's that's used? And, and you know, something that we've talked about a lot and something that Coalition has been talking about a lot is the, you know, the singular narrative of, what it means to be a skier or a snowboarder that like, it's supposed to be going big, full send, getting NART, like going, like when, like, when can we start embracing beginners or people who just show up wearing whatever they want to wear and looking however they want to look right. Like there's just all these. um, And that's just like the very superficial stuff. But I think that, you know, mountain communities are being faced with, there's a there's an actual cost of living crisis in a, a in a, a market where the um, available uh, the the occupancy rate like there's there's no available um, places for people to rent. But then there's also this culture that doesn't really embrace diversity or or difference. And it it'll be interesting to see how mountain communities manage all of this over the next couple of years and like what they what they turn into. Well, and Jen, it's also, I mean, it has to do with access and it's all, it's so, it has to do with elitism. You know, I think of, I worked, um, I won't say the mountain, but I happen to be working um, kind of as like a little equity consultant, if you will, giving somebody a little feedback on their photos. And I was like, yeah, in this photo, just to your talking point, I was like, this represents somebody kind of going really big. And this might, you know, speak to somebody's like adrenaline drive. But I'm like, you know, it happens to be a singular narrative. You look at this picture and you might not see yourself in it if you're not this type of person or this type of family or this type of skier. I'm like, you're missing this huge understanding that if you're trying to work on inclusion and in diversity in how you're you know, you're photographing on your mountain and how you're presenting those, whether it's in the photos that come out on your lift tickets or what people see when they arrive or what they see on your website, they don't see themselves there. They're not going to want to be there. And there's not going to be this sense of invitation because it isn't just about the singular person. It's not just about the family unit. I'm like, it's beyond all of that. And then within that, the layers of complexity to move away from the single narrative of what it means to be the mountain person. And and it was so eye-opening because I was talking to a really intelligent person and they were sort of like, huh, I never thought about it like that. And I'm like, yeah, because it's what you've always seen is, you know, who's in the cool kids club and how they're in the newest yeah. and the shiniest and the flyest gear and all of this. And then again, to your point of, you know, there's some really spectacular terrain that allows us to push ourselves as athletes and get excited. But there's also like, what does it take? Everybody started somewhere. 
So what is it like? I remember in this, I mean, it's been so long that I can out myself on this. I remember working at Alpine selling tickets and like a family would come to buy their tickets and I'd be like, um, that'd be $865. And it would just be like the jaw drop and the tears and kind of like, I'm like, oh my God, are they not going to eat for like a month? And I'd be like, print. And I'd be like, just, just go away. Just move away from the window. Move away from the window. <laughs> like, mm. I can't even take $1,000 from you mm-hmm. when you're trying to give your family a day of experience. And this is fucking paper. And it doesn't matter. Oh, Autumn, cut that out. No, I'm just kidding. None of oh, this yeah. is great because we were totally oh, going to okay, tackle okay, we what we think um, about social media. And here we are. <laughs> We'll have to save that for another episode. It's true, we were. Yeah, we originally were going to talk about how much we hate social media, and then we ended up talking about this. Although social media, I mean, totally plays into that the, the narrative thing. But yeah, we will save yeah, what we hate about social media for another time. But here, okay, here's my final question for you. So you know there is no way in hell I can afford that lot next to you. Oh, but gonna do. what do you think, myself. what would happen if I squatted? What would happen if I squatted? I have a fucking tent. I have a I have a tent. I have a sleeping bag and I have a sleeping pad. I've got a camp stove. Like what would happen if I squatted? Can we figure that out? I'm not against doing that. I'm going to get you a bucket, toilet. This is brilliant. We're going to have Thank to you. pass this out. Bye. Done. When we yeah, I feel like I feel like this is it. Yeah, that's our plan. So what what we need what we need from the listeners, if you know the laws around squatting in yeah. California, please message us because this could be really interesting. Um, hello at coalitionsnow.com. What are the squatting laws in California? Because I might be camping out next to Jillian's house and um this could be really great okay awesome we'll That's do all we have too from it to as a treat yeah we'll do an insta live from it <laughs> and then talk about how much we talk about how much we hate social um okay, okay well Thank everyone so email us please do the research and send us an email thank you for your time listeners we fucking love you tell us what you love and what you hate <laughs> Seems so long I've been waiting Still